0: So we're back in Ecclesiastes. Hopefully by now you've found uh, chapter 7 in your Bibles or on your phone. And we've been saying that uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, that it's kind of this dual conversation going on. That on one hand you have uh, Solomon, um, the preacher, uh, he's reflecting on life under the sun, life that we can see with our eyes and saying if this is all there is then there's no meaning that that life is quote hevel or it's like a vapor Um, and then well shift over to the other category of conversations in Ecclesiastes and say actually there's a sovereign good God and that we are actually living uh, life under heaven and that God uh, is superintending all things um, both the good and the bad or what we might even you know, say is bad, maybe we don't see the good in it, but God is in all of it. And we see this in passages like back in chapter 3, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance very familiar passage and we, we said that oftentimes uh, this is uh, talked about, preached on read, like in you know, a funeral and, and the basic gist of it is, uh, yeah, it's bad right now but there'll be a time that's good and the sun will come out tomorrow and that uh, instead of thinking of it that way, actually think of it as God is superintending everything, that, that He is ordaining uh, all these things that we experience under the sun and we, we call that providence. Uh, this idea that that God is is in charge. Um, and so, you know, the question is, well, how does that play out in daily life? Um, is it some sort of stoic determinism where we say things like, well, it is what it is, or que sera, sera? Uh, actually, that's not at all what it is. That's, that's not how uh, these truths of the understanding of a sovereign good God uh, would be. Uh, influence our lives. Uh, it's much more active, <laughs> and so there is a, an embracing of sadness and pain and death uh, that makes us wise. And so this is, this is the, the big idea of this passage really, is that because we believe that we're receiving everything from the hand of a sovereign good God, that pain, suffering, death can lead to Wisdom. So we want to look at three different things today: um, how this reflection or embracing of sadness, pain, and death uh, can lead to make us make us wise. Uh, what are some of the foolish alternatives to doing that? And then, how should we respond right now, uh, in a wise way, to the things that are causing suffering? So let's look at the first one: how reflection on sadness, pain death serves to make us wise. Now the first verse there starts off pretty pretty standard wisdom, right? A good name is better than precious ointment. Now that word ointment, you know, this is on my daughter Kayla's uh, list of banned words. She does not like the word ointment, so that stands out to me. She doesn't like the word moist. She doesn't like the word uh, slacks. There's there's several other words on that. And so, uh, right right at the at the beginning here, it, this verse is is really weird. But uh, in the in ancient Near East, uh, ointment and sp- especially imported precious special ointment that was brought in. Yeah, I said it. Sorry, if you're watching. Ointment uh, was something that you really wanted, you really valued. And so uh, he's saying it's better to be wise than to have something that is materially valuable, that to have a good name is better, uh, a, a name that people look at you and see your integrity. That is better. That is more valuable than anything that would be of material value. This is pretty standard stuff. Uh, Proverbs 22:1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Same kind of idea, that you're, you're better off doing the right thing and having the reputation of being one who does the right thing, than you are getting really rich by cheating and cutting corners and exploiting the poor and finding the loopholes. Uh, you're you're better off having a good name and doing the right thing. Uh, That all makes sense. But the next uh, phrase in that first verse is this, and the day of death than the day of birth. Now, this is like a slap in the face. I mean, how could the day of death be better than the day of birth? We love birth. We love babies. I mean, we've got lots of babies right now. Look at this one right here. This is Benji. Uh, and his dad, Corey Tellman, and Benji's uh, just a, a few weeks old. Uh, and it's so exciting to, to have Benji uh, as, as part of our family now and to think about the possibilities of what is going to happen uh, to Benji throughout his life. And I think most parents, when they hold that baby for the first time, they're thinking that their son or daughter is going to cure cancer. Uh, They're going to, they're going to figure out how to to get world peace. Uh, They're going to figure out how to win more Super Bowls than Tom Brady for the Patriots. You know, there's so much hope. There's so many possibilities. And Solomon says, you know, that's all fine and good, but actually reflecting on your day of death would be a, a, a wiser thing to do. And uh, when you start to think about it, you know, that that, that does make sense. Like um, in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the, the first habit of a highly effective person is to begin with the end in mind. And the book opens with a reflection on your funeral. And so, so thinking about at the end, right, thinking about when you're in that casket, what do you care about? right? Do, do you care about the money that you made and spent? No, no. Do you, do, do you care about the degrees on the wall? No, not really. Your hobbies, your shallow networking relationships, like, like no, you don't care about those things. Doesn't mean those things don't, that, that, that don't matter. They do matter, right? And we talked about this last week, that food and shelter and education and all these things that we need under the sun, they, they do matter and they matter uh, to God, but they're not ultimate, and so, when you reflect on your own death, you think about what's ultimate. You think about your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And so, this is what Solomon's is driving at. It's it's better to think on your death than to think on uh, your birth. The, you know, the, the, there's a place in the life of the church uh, that that the funeral holds. It's so interesting. When uh, when I was uh, in, in previous two churches before we came here to start Mercy House. Uh, funerals were a pretty regular part of the life of the church. And so older saints who had followed Jesus for decades would die, and we would memorialize them. We, we would we would celebrate the life that they lived for Christ. And I remember as a 20-something young you know, young pastor sitting there in those funerals, and it was like a slap in the face. It was like, Robert, snap out of it. Like, why, why are you so worried about these things that you've been so stressed over this week or uh, worried about? What, what, you need to think about what matters, what is ultimate. And this is a bit what Solomon is, is trying to get us to do, to think about the things that are ultimate, things that are important. Um, he continues in that same vein. Verse 2 It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Similar kind of of, uh, idea here, right? Better is mourning and sorrow and sadness. Better is that than feasting, laughter, and uh, gladness. Again, like death, sadness and pain and suffering, it sobers us up. Uh, think about it. When when we're hurting, what do we do? It, it, if we're if we're embracing that in a healthy way, it pushes us into to relationship with God. It pushes us into relationship with others. We pray. We read Scripture. We reflect on what's really important in our lives. We quote, "lay it to heart." Is the the verbiage that uh, Solomon uh, uses? We're, we're driving our roots deeper into ultimate truth, and when we come out on the other side of that suffering, that pain, we're better than we were before, right? We're wiser than we were before. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament would affirm this. Uh, James 1 verse 2, "...count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, and you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." It's a similar kind of idea. There, there's a deep joy that can come in the m- midst of, as a result of, trials. This is what Solomon means when he says, the sadness of face, uh, the, the heart is made glad. <laughs> that I can have, 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 have the sadness over my suffering, yet internally in the, the deepest part of myself, I am being made glad. I am experiencing a deep and abiding joy. Now, when we don't embrace that, when we don't lean into that, uh, we then seek foolish alternatives. And this is also what Solomon gets at in this passage. So what are some of those foolish alternatives to reflecting on, embracing that sadness, suffering, and pain? So uh, verse 5, It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. The, the first alternative to really embracing and, and reflecting on suffering and pain and death, that, that alternative is distraction. It is distraction. And um, that time of sadness and suffering can only be helpful to us if we're not going to these foolish alternatives, seeking distractions from what God might be doing in the midst of pain pain. Uh, and suffering, and and we're prone to this, right? We're we're prone to to, to uh, foolishly ignoring the rebuke that might be coming through this experience of pain, and and instead looking to be distracted by the distractions of fools. Now Solomon mentions the singing of fools, the the laughing of fools. I think if he lived today, he would mention the Netflix of fools, the social media feeds of fools. Uh, the cable news of fools, the recreation of fools, the hobbies of fools—anything uh, that can distract you from really receiving the wisdom that God is is trying to import, impart to us through suffering and pain, the, the the reflection on the state of our world, the reflection on the oppression of others, our reflection on our own. Uh, lust or gluttony or anger or addictions uh, reflection on our apathy during covid where we 're not pressing in to relationship with god we 're not pressing in uh, to relationship uh, with people we we've got our hands on our ears, and we 're like la 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 don't don't talk to me about wisdom through pain and suffering we we seek to distract ourselves. And Solomon says, this is like depending on crackling thorns to produce enough heat to warm you and cook your food. It it, it just disappears. It is Hevel. It's another another image of this idea of Hevel. And so flee from that foolish vanity of distraction. Put down the half gallon of ice cream or the three-hour daily CrossFit class, class and press in to what god may be teaching you through pain and suffering and even reflection on one's death. Uh, CS Lewis says this in The Problem of Pain, but pain insists upon being attended to, God whispers to us in our pleasure speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And and I I believe that. I believe that God uses pain to as a megaphone, and and while God is speaking to us through the megaphone, again we got hands over ears, looking at the social media feed, going to the next Netflix Netflix binge, and we're refusing to hear what He wants to say to us. Now, I think the pushback on this for some is like, "Well, won't this damage me? Won't won't I?" Uh, if if I start to reflect on sadness, I reflect on suffering or pain or even my death, uh, it's going to psychologically damage me. It's interesting. It's almost as if if Solomon knew that that was going to be pushed back on even 3,000 years ago. He says in verse 7, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Uh, he, he's, he seems to, to, to know, oh, yeah, the, the, the tendency is to think that reflecting on this kind of thing is going to drive you to madness. It's going to drive you uh, to corruption, where you're not going to become wise. You're actually going to become worse. And so, you know, you're thinking, well, if I get distracted, then I'll, I'll keep on, you know, the wise path. And Solomon just doubles down, verse 8 better is the end of a thing than its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. This is so insightful. Um, He's back to the idea of thinking on the end of something rather than the beginning of something, Uh, whether that be your death or your child rearing or the business that you start. When you begin with the end in mind and and you sort of reverse engineer from what you want at the end, This leads to uh, wisdom as opposed to beginning something and thinking about the beginning with lots of pipe dreams and euphoric wishes and magical thinking. Uh, Those kinds of things uh, can be helpful at one level, but uh, they don't produce wisdom like thinking about the end. And in part, he gives us a little bit of a a, a nugget here where he says the reason this is is because uh, thinking about the end humbles you. It humbles you. Um, and he 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 says that those that are prideful, um, they they have their pride melt away when they think about the future. They think about the end of of something, and so this is again he's he's driving at this idea that pain and suffering, um, it it sobers us, it humbles us, it it places us in a receptive posture whereby wisdom can can do its work uh, on us. Uh, if we reflect in those thing, in, on those things, um, you know I, the other day, I was behind an older person uh, in line at the grocery store, and uh, they were they were having a really hard time with the keypad they were having a really hard time uh, figuring out you know what what to what to give the clerk and and they were, it was it was painful okay and as i 'm standing behind there, I felt actually a lot of patience and When I was in my 20s, I don't think I would have felt patience. I I think I'd have been like, come on, old man, I got things to do, like hurry it up. Now, why is that? Well, it's because I'm a little closer to the end, and I can see it a little more clearly. And so when I see that 80-year-old man having some struggles there, I'm like, you know what? We all have to go there. I'm just going to be patient. I'm just going to wait. There's something about reflecting on the end of a thing that, that gives you Uh, humility. It it gives you a a wisdom that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, Another distraction that that was mentioned in this passage I just read uh, from really embracing and learning from uh, sorrow and sadness, uh, that, that alternative, foolish alternative is anger. It's anger. Prideful people get angry, right? And, and they get angry because they think they are better than other people. Uh, they get angry because they have expectations that are beyond anything that's possible in life under the sun. Uh, they get angry uh, at God because they don't like the way God is running the universe and they think they could run it better. And, and so this, this is one of the alternatives to embracing and learning from and receiving the rebuke, the, the the teaching that is in suffering and pain, is to get angry. Uh, Solomon even says that anger lodges in the heart of the fool. This is not just a, a one-time kind of a burst, outburst of anger. This is something that lodges in the heart uh, like a disease. And you may think, well, I thought the fool was singing songs and having parties and experiencing laughter. Uh, and it's true on the surface. But under the surface, there's something more sinister that's going on in the heart of the fool. And while the the fool is distracting themselves uh, from the lessons that suffering is trying to teach, uh, the, the the fool is missing those lessons, becoming more foolish and more foolish and more foolish. And life under the sun is getting harder and harder and harder. And the result is anger. And so while, while you think distractions might work in, in, in keeping you... Uh, keeping your attitude uh, happy uh, in the end, you just become angry um, and this so speaks to me right i mean i I want my life to be convenient, I want it to be pain free uh, I wake up every morning and I just think this 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 day's going to be perfect it 's going to be amazing uh regardless of how hard days were before from this day forward life 's going to be great. Um, about four weeks ago, I started having some back pain down my right leg and, um, you know, in true form, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to stretch this out. I'm going to do some strengthening exercises. This isn't going to be a big deal. It, it'll take two, or three days, which is usually what happens when I have a little back pain and then it got worse. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. I, I I'm going to go to the physical therapist and I'm going to get some, some more exercises. I'm going to get, let them take a look at it. Uh, and, I uh, you know, and it got worse, and then I was like, I want to get a massage. I've never gotten a massage. I didn't want to get a massage. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people touching on me. I'm like, I'm so desperate. I'm going to get, it. and I got a, a couple of massages. It's gotten worse, and so it's one of those things where I'm, 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 like, telling myself the sun will come out tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow, and it may, right? It it may clear up, uh, but in doing that instead of of turning toward God in the midst of it and saying, okay, Lord, what, what are you trying to, to teach me through this? How can I, how can I lean into this and, and, and become uh, more intimate with you in relationship with you? And, and yes, go to physical therapy, try to, try to get some help with it, but, but also realize that this is life under the sun and, and getting distraction or getting angry. This, this is not helping but instead embracing God in the midst of it. And this, the, the third alternative or foolish alternative really is discouragement. And, and I think these kind of, that, that this is a, a, an, a, a linear order here where we, we distract ourselves when we get angry that things aren't getting better, and then we just finally are, are experiencing discouragement or despair. He says, verse 10, Say not why were the former days better than these, for it is not from wisdom that you ask of this. So now the fool who was looking forward with lots of pipe dreams and and lots of, of of magical thinking is now looking backward and saying, "Why isn't my life good like it used to be?" Right. And this, this is where, in your suffering and pain, you're you're starting to to spiral uh, into discouragement. Now Solomon is really chasing us into a corner here, right? <laughs> he, we're we're experiencing pain and suffering, even even death, and and, he, and he's saying. Uh, don't distract yourself. You're like, okay, I won't distract myself. I'll just get angry. He's like, don't get angry. Okay, I won't get angry. I'll just get discouraged. He's like, don't get sc- discouraged. <laughs> and so he's he's run us into a corner saying to us, these these are foolish alternatives to what God would have us do with pain, suffering, and reflection on our own death. And And what God wants us to do is is to lean toward him right to to seek him and to seek his wisdom you say okay so what does that look like and this is the third third point here how is it that we wisely respond to our current suffering and there's there's two things here and you'll you'll you hear repetition here I mean he, he circles back around again and again but here's the two things he's trying to get across to us in the midst of suffering uh One is that we live wisely, but we're sober about the limits of wisdom. We live wisely, but we're sober about the limits of wisdom. And then secondly, we receive both the good and the bad from the hand of a sovereign good God. Both both of these are are lessons, are are ways uh, to lean in to receive uh, the wisdom that comes through pain and suffering. So let's look at the first one. Live wisely, but be sober about the limits of wisdom. Verse 11, he says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So, he's saying it is better to be wise. Like, like, like don't go into despair and discouragement and say, you know what, I'm just going to be foolish, who cares? He's like, no, 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 don't do that. Be wise. And Solomon's always going to go back to home base. This is home base wisdom. You want to you want to live wisely, right? You want to work hard. You you want to uh, have integrity. You don't want to waste your money. You you don't want to uh, participate in drinking too much or uh, you, know, ex, you know exploiting uh, others and, and exploiting loopholes. It's better to be wise, but be sober. About this, such that you realize that wisdom has its limits. Uh, his illustration is that wisdom is like money, right? That money can protect you to some degree. It's it's good to have some money, right? Right, like if you get sick and you can pay to go to the doctor. If if your car breaks, you can fix your car. Like like there, there there's things that money will protect you from, but there are limits, right? That that you can be as rich as Bill Gates. But you get a terminal disease, too bad. Like, like You have all the money in the world. It's, it, it's not going to cure you. And, and so there are limits. And when we experience pain and suffering, that, that's when we realize, oh, even though maybe I've lived as wisely as I know how to live, there's, there's limits to that. Think of wisdom like a seatbelt. Is a seatbelt going to be a 100% guarantee that you are not going to die or be injured in an auto accident. No, I mean, you can still die, you can still have, have an injury, but it's gonna lessen the chances that you're gonna die and have an injury. Wisdom is like that. Wisdom, living wisely, is, is like that, like a, like a seatbelt. Uh, part of how you're able to, to cope with that reality, that you don't have absolute control, even though you're trying as hard as you can to live wisely, is that you receive both the good and the bad from the hand of a sovereign good God. This is our second point for, of wisdom for, for how, do we, how do we live wisely? How do we lean into uh, suffering, pain, and even death? He says in verse 13, "'Consider the work of God, who can make straight what He has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other.'" so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Do you see what he's saying there? Again, it you know, when when I'm I, I'm constantly saying this refrain of receive everything, good and bad, from the hand of a sovereign good God. Well this is one of those passages where you can see it in black and white, right there in the text. That is what he is telling us um, to do, that somehow God is the ultimate cause of everything. He is superintending everything. Now he's not Uh, culpable for sin and the effects of sin. He's not not blameworthy for sin and the effects of sin, but somehow he is superintending. He is the ultimate cause, the primary cause of all things. And when you know that, you can enjoy the good and entrust yourself to God during the bad. You can enjoy the good and you can entrust yourself to God in the midst of of the bad. And so with that in mind, you who are suffering, and, and honestly, that's all of us, at some level, we're experiencing suffering. We're experiencing pain. And so in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that pain, sober up. Sober up. Let, let that suffering and pain sober you up. To those of you who are suffering and uh, dis- d- discouraged, know that you're not in the middle of of something that's meaningless, your suffering is not hevel. Your suffering is not meaningless. You're in the middle of something that a sovereign, good God is is superintending, and and there's a, a, a wisdom that can be drawn from that suffering. Um, there is a, a way in which uh, your your sorrow is better than laughter, and by sadness of faith, face your heart will be made glad. God God's doing a heart level work. That, that is resulting in an abiding joy that is deeper than any kind of joy that might come from a shallow distraction. And so those of you that are suffering and, and discouraged, take, take hope in that, be encouraged in that. Um, those of you that are suffering and distracted, uh, I know that this seems to be the quickest path to joy, the quickest path to happiness, uh, it's a sham. It's, it's a sham. Medicating your pain with shallow distractions is not leading to a sustained joy. The happiness you feel through those distractions is like uh, the kind of fire you build with these crackling thorns. It feels really hot for just a second, and then it, it's heavy. It It merely disappears. So whatever it is, that you're distracting yourself with, whether it's illicit sex or mood-altering drugs or gorging on food or entertainment or oversleeping or excessive hobbies and recreation, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is, that is Hevel. And, and that short-term pleasure, that short-term happiness that you think you're getting, it, it does not compare to the depth of joy that, that can be had in your heart if you lean in to what God has for you in the midst of the suffering. I mean, one of the ways you do that is to lean into your church community. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we've tried to do to help people stay connected here at Mercy House, those that are members of the church, uh, we, we've, we've assigned you to family groups. And um, we, we, our hope was that folks would engage in those family groups, and many have. And it's been really encouraging. I talked to your leaders uh, just a few days ago. And, and they were very encouraged by the people that are coming to those groups and are engaging. And and many are suffering. This is a, a really tough time, and people are finding encouragement in the midst of those family groups, praying together, reading the scriptures. Um, but then they were also experiencing discouragement over the fact that some are not coming. And, and and so there was some discussion, What what do you think people are doing? And so for some, there's Very valid reasons for not coming. You have some kind of a scheduling conflict. There's some kind of major issue that keeps you from coming. But for some, we're pretty certain it's distraction. While your church members are talking and praying and diving into Scripture for an hour and a half on a Wednesday night, you're watching Netflix. You're oversleeping. You're overeating. You're distracting yourself with things that are giving you a temporary happiness, but you're not seeking this ultimate joy that comes from God. And, and so I want to encourage you, if, that, if you're in that category and you're distracting yourself, um, to, to, to then move toward God and His people, even though it feels, feels inconvenient, it's like 8 p.m. at night and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, I know, I, I feel those same things. <laughs> but to, to lean in instead of allowing ourselves to be, distraction. Um, On the encouraging side of things, watching six people be a part of Meet Mercy House uh, last Saturday, I I, I was just, I I was so encouraged in the middle of a pandemic uh, where we we can't do a lot of face-to-face kinds of gatherings, and, and yet these folks are pressing in, saying, no, I want to be a member of the church. I want to be a part of community. And, and pressing in to what it means to to seek God, even in the midst of some some really challenging times, I want to speak to those who are suffering and angry. Um, some are, are really angry at your spouse you're angry at your kids or your friends or your boss or you're angry at the republicans or you're angry at the Democrats or you're, you're you name it're you're, you're just you're angry um, and you feel entitled to some kind of foolish vision of the good life and the more you don't get the good life that you envision the angrier that you get and I'm I'm here to say that vision that you have it doesn't exist not in this life this idea of a pain-free convenient living it it, it just doesn't exist and even if you live wisely I think this is what uh, really pushes the anger is like I've tried really really hard maybe you've worked on your core strength and you still got a back pain right like like you're like I did I did what I was supposed to do I did what my therapist said and it's still not working that that can so lead to this heart that where anger uh, lodges itself and and so confessing that to the sovereign good god acknowledging he is superintending all things that 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 while it's a great mystery, suffering is is a mystery. I I, I don't want to talk about it as if it's this kind of light thing and it's so easy to explain. It's not. It's an incredible mystery. But in the midst of the mystery of that suffering, we can meet the sovereign good God. One writer uh, said that the joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the presence of God. And so let's come out of our anger, let's come out of our frustration. Honestly, we, most of us are in all three of those categories of being distracted, discouraged, angry in the midst of our suffering and our pain. And so we can, we can lean in, we, we, we can meet God himself in the midst of that suffering. Um, we can do that because of what Christ did on the cross. Uh, one, one of my favorite passages that speaks to this, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's writing about Christian perseverance, and he's, he's saying you can persevere in the midst of your struggles. You can endure uh, the pain and the suffering. And, and how do you do that? You do that by looking to Jesus, the one who suffered. And it, and it gives us a little insight into how Jesus did that. The, the way that he suffered, or the, the way that he motivated himself through suffering, what was him looking forward to the hope in the future salvation that was going to happen through his death on the cross. And so while Jesus was, was suffering and experiencing pain and dying in this life under the sun, he was looking to life under heaven. And, and he was finding hope in the joy that was set before him. And he was pulling that joy down from heaven into his own heart in his life under the sun. As we see him doing that, we, we know that he is he's dying in our place. Those of us that, that we, we are foolish, we are distracted, we are discouraged, we are angry. And, and, and he knows that. And he knows that we're never going to be set free from that had it not been for his death on the cross for fools like us. But because he's died that death, we can now be forgiven of that, but also our hearts can be transformed. And we too can look to the hope and the joy of life under heaven, and we can live in that joy in this life under the sun. Let's pray. Lord, I know many who are listening or watching this are feeling suffering and pain. And for some, it is a very large, catastrophic kind of acute event that's occurred. And in others, it's just the the ongoing little nitpicky frustrations that build up over time. And so, Lord, I I pray for them. I pray for me that that as we experience these things under the sun, that we would not be fools, distracted, discouraged, angry, but instead we would be wise and we would lean in to our relationship with the sovereign good God. Lord, and as we do that, Lord, would you make us wise? Make us wise, understanding the limitations of wisdom and placing our ultimate hope in you, the sovereign good God who has sovereignly saved us from our sin and made us into your children. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and I pray that this week would be one full of deep and abiding joy.